0: Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Although Australia is probably through the worst of the global pandemic, it has left it a legacy for many Australians. You know The, the lockdowns, the travel bans, the general uncertainty, the radical change many people have had to experience in their, their life has left many people feeling exhausted. Many people are reporting they just feel really tired. I work with a lot of pastors, and when I ask them how they're going, the most common response I get is, tired. But It's not just pastors who are feeling tired. As you, you see this morning, uh, you two might be just saying, I, I just feel so tired. It's, it's I just wish I could, could go back to bed, but I can't. There's different types of tiredness, of course. Sometimes it's a a physical tiredness. The National Sleep Foundation advised that healthy adults need between seven and nine hours of sleep per night. But if you've got babies or young children or teens, uh, you need more sleep to enable growth development. People over 65 should get seven or eight hours of sleep per night. Uh, But for many of us that's just not possible. We're not getting enough sleep. For others it's an emotional tiredness Some of you feel emotionally empty. You are emotionally fatigued. There's been so much emotion in your life recently that you feel like you have nothing left to give. You feel you could break into tears at any moment. You want to crawl off into a corner by yourself, but you can't. For others, the tiredness is spiritual. You are feeling really distant from God. You're spiritually flat. The the fire has gone out. There was a time when you were spiritually on fire. You were white hot for God, but now you feel cold. You sometimes feel as though you're just going through the motions. You can be tired physically. You can be tired emotionally. You can be tired spiritually. But the thing is, often it, it spills over. You're not just tired emotionally. You're you're tired physically and spiritually as well. When you're physically exhausted, your your emotional and spiritual life takes a plunge. When you're emotionally exhausted, it can leave you physically listless litless and, and spiritually dry. I remember one time when I was pastoring, I, I got a really bad flu and, and I missed one Sunday service but confidently declared that I'd be back on deck for the following Sunday. But I wasn't. It was a baptism service, and and so I couldn't I couldn't pull out. And I got up on a Sunday morning, and I was so physically weak, I was I was shaking, and I felt so emotionally wrought, I just started to cry, and uh, I felt distant from God because he I'd been praying and praying that he'd heal me in time, and he he hadn't. The last thing I wanted to do was to get into a cold water for a baptism. I remember I was in a really really bad way. If you have a big year. You'll feel tired if you've got relationship issues, you'll feel tired. if you're serving the Lord wholeheartedly, undoubtedly at some time you'll feel tired. I'm sure this morning some of you, as you sit here, are feeling tired. There's an interesting story in the in the Gospels about the disciples and their tiredness uh, and I think at, at this particular point in in jesus' ministry that the disciples were Physically, emotionally and spiritually exhausted. And it showed. And we'll be looking at their story this, this morning. The context of the story is, is crucial. When you look back at the stories earlier in Mark chapter 6, where where this story comes from, you see that Jesus had sent disciples out in pairs to do ministry. There had been the physical exertion of walking great distance from town to town. But much more taxing was the Emotional and spiritual exertion of healing and praying and casting out demons and resisting the attacks from the unwelcoming. Yet they returned to Jesus triumphant and excited, but still exhausted. And they simply hadn't had the time to recover from that. Despite Jesus' best attempts to get them away from the crowd so that they could relax and debrief, the crowd had followed them. They'd gone to a, a solitary place to get some rest. But the crowds had followed them there. And instead of being a day of rest, it had been a long day in the sun as Jesus taught the crowd. And then the climax of the dramatic feeding of the 5,000 with all of the physical, spiritual and emotional trauma associated with that. Then in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, we read what happens next. Immediately, it, uh, word occurs a lot in in, in Mark, but uh, here at the at the chapter six verse forty five, immediately after the feeding of the five thousand, Jesus made, and and the word there could be translated compel. Uh, Jesus forced them. You know it's a quickly guys get in the boat. Uh, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Mark gives no explanation as to why Jesus forces the disciples to so quickly weigh anchor and leave, but he dispatches them and goes up on the mountain alone to pray. Let's see what happens. Verse 47 Later that night the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars, because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Now, rowing across the lake would have been a bit of a task in itself. Quite a physical exertion, but not beyond expectation. The problem was the stiff wind that had blown up. They got into the boat at sunset and started rowing. But at 3am in the morning, they were still rowing. What had begun as a trip across the lake had turned into a monotonous, painful, exhausting nightmare. And we read that Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars and presumably moved by compassion for them. It says he went out to them walking on the lake. He could have walked around the lake and met them on the other side in the morning, but instead he went directly to them over the water. One of the interesting things in the story that perhaps struck you was it says in verse 48, he was about to pass by them. That's puzzling, isn't it? Why would Jesus go to the middle of the lake and then just pass by his disciples? The answer is that little Greek word that is translated, pass by. There's another story in the Bible about where God passes by people. It's in Exodus chapter 33. The context there is that Moses is very exhausted himself. He has led the people of Israel out of Egypt. And then there had been the whole thing with the golden calf. And now here he is on Mount Sinai again. He's wrecked. In Exodus 33:12, he says to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. Well, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember, That this nation is your people. You can hear the exhaustion in Moses' voice. But the Lord applies in verse 14. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And in verse 18, Moses says to the Lord then, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you there it is the same greek word that appears in the book of mark and i will proclaim my name the lord in your presence then the lord said this is a place there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock and my glory passes by i will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until i have passed by there it is again then i will remove my hand and you will see my back but my face must not be seen. There's an ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew New Testament, and when it comes to verse 19, the Greek word that is translated English, as passed by, is exactly the same word that Mark uses in his gospel. And the purpose of God's passing by Moses was to reveal his character to him. In Moses' exhaustion, God goes out of his way, to reveal his character and to give the comfort of his presence to his servant Moses. And we read a couple of verses later in Exodus 34, 6, what happened when he passed by. Exodus 34, 6, and he passed, there's the word again, in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. As we saw last week, one of the most common terms that the Gospel writers used to describe Jesus was compassionate. And that should not be surprising, because when the Lord revealed himself to Moses as he passed him by, the first adjective to use to describe God was compassionate, followed by gracious, long-suffering and abounding in love and faithfulness. What a beautiful God. And so when Jesus was walking on the lake, he was not passing by the disciples. He was passing by. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, say no more. It was not so much a statement of geography, but of theology. Mark is highlighting that Jesus passed in front of his disciples and when he did so he was making a powerful revelation of his character and of his presence just the way that God had done with Moses in the Old Testament. It was meant to be a reassurance that he was God, full of mercy and compassion and slow to anger, loving and faithful. And just as God passed by Moses to reveal his character In a powerful and unforgettable way, Jesus was passing by his disciples in a way that they would never forget. God could never fully be seen until the incarnation of Jesus. God covered Moses' face because Moses could not look on the face of God. But when Jesus took on flesh and appeared before us, we were able to gaze upon him And understand God's compassion and presence in a powerful new way. Ironically, though, Jesus' approach to the disciples in the boat made things worse. Verse 49. When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought it was a ghost. The word translated ghost there is the Greek word phantasma, from which we get phantom. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of trying to comfort a nervous or frightened person by touching on them on the shoulder. And, and you do that, and often their reaction is to jump and scream with terror. And uh, it's a bit like what happens with, with Jesus. He's trying to comfort them, but his, his presence actually frightens them all the more. And it's, it was worse for the disciples because there was a, a popular mythology that said that when a ship was about to sink, a ghost would approach the boat on the crest of a wave. And when they saw this figure walking on the water, it totally freaked them out. It was all too much for them. Not only were their disciples physically and emotionally exhausted, they were now absolutely terrified. But in this state of exhaustion and fear, Jesus brings two things to them. Verse 51, or verse 50, it says, immediately, there's that word again, he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. First thing Jesus did was to bring them a word. As we saw last week, when Jesus had compassion on the crowds, he began teaching them. And when Jesus is having compassion on the disciples, he brings them the word. Immediately, Jesus calmed their fears and spoke words of reassurance. Take courage. Don't be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid. Do you know how many times God says in the Bible to his people, do not be afraid? Apparently, it's 89 times you reckon we'd get the message. And if if I were to repeat to you now 89 times, God says, do not be afraid. God says, do not be afraid. God says, do not be afraid. We might get the message as well. God's message to those who are exhausted and scared is the same. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. But not only did Jesus bring his word to the situation, he also brought His presence. It was not as though Jesus stood on the lake and shouted to his hysterical, screaming disciples, It's okay, guys. It's, It's me. I'll meet you on the other side. Walking's quicker and easier. Catch you in the morning. Jesus actually got into the boat with them. The disciples see more than God's back, as Moses did. They see the face of God in the face of his son. He is the saviour who brings calmness and deliverance. And when we're exhausted and scared, it's it's one thing to hear the word of God, take courage, don't be afraid. It is I. It's another thing altogether to sense His presence. It's one thing to tell you, but to have somebody tell you it will be okay. It's another thing altogether for them to hop in the boat with you, to sit next to you to put their arm around you, to know you are going to go through this together. And in a sense, this account of Jesus passing by and bringing comfort to this boatload of historical men, hysterical men is a picture of the whole gospel. God drawing near to humanity in the midst of their exhaustion and fear. God reaching out across time and space, to touch the lives of his helpless and frightened people. As powerful as the word of God is, we also desperately need the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to give us real comfort and to give us real peace. And notice that when Jesus got into the boat, the wind died down. I have no doubt Jesus has authority over the winds and the waves, and he had previously calmed a storm, but at that moment, even if the storm was still raging, it wouldn't have seemed as bad to the disciples. When Jesus was with them, the wind did not seem as strong and the rowing did not seem as difficult. And knowing that Jesus is with us in our struggles makes them less daunting as well. The sad part of the story, if there is a sad part to this story, is the disciples failed to grasp the true significance of what had happened. In verse 51 it says they were completely amazed for they not understood about the loaves their hearts were hardened. Mark explains that they had not caught the meaning of, of the loaves which was a, a pointer to the true identity of Jesus as the the bread of life. The disciples were still blind to his his character and his compassion for humanity. Their lack of faith and comprehension in response to this miracle reflects their their human condition when it came in their contact with God. They did not recognise God's blessing or bounty or his presence in their lives. He was right there, but they didn't understand and their hearts were hardened. But notice Jesus' response. He never gives up on the disciples. In spite of their failures, in spite of their hard-heartedness, in spite of their thickness of skull, he takes them through the whole process again so that they might understand. He does not require disciples to grasp things immediately. He doesn't condemn them for their natural bent to be human hard-heartedness or for their inability to grasp the mind-boggling reality that God was in their midst in the very person of Jesus. And as you sit here today, you might be physically, spiritually or emotionally exhausted from your relationship problems. You might be spiritually exhausted from seeking God. You may be physically exhausted from the demands of the weak. You might be falling apart. But know this, Jesus is in the boat rowing with you and he whispers in the darkness as he rows. take courage it is I don't be afraid one thing no one can miss in this miracle is that Jesus clearly cares deeply for his disciples including you he sees your distress and comes to you during the darkest part of the night when you are having trouble in the deepest part of the lake. He shows patience when you fail to see what it means and recoil in fear. But there is no rebuke, only calm assurance. And then he delivers you safely to the shore. And sometimes Jesus may pass by in our lives in ways that we fail to see and that might even frighten us. It might only become clear in retrospect, as it did for those first disciples. It's only when we look back that we realise that in that horrible hour, we were in the very presence of God and that Christ was revealing his glory to us. But we were just too blind, too petrified to see it. And so we should always be alert that in the times of the greatest discouragement, the greatest exhaustion, the greatest fears, Jesus may well be passing by, showing his love and his power and leading us across the troubled waters. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. It appears that in the early church that statement became a bit of a catch cry, particularly amongst the martyrs as the Christians were dragged into the stadia to be devoured by lions, to be coated in tar and set on fire as they were nailed to crosses, as they were sawn in half, they would repeat the words of Jesus to assure one another. They would shout to one another in the midst of their terror, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. But then maybe it was not them saying it by themselves. Maybe there was another voice passing by in their midst, crying out, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, some here listening to this today are exhausted, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, in the midst of that exhaustion, I pray you will reveal yourself to these people, that you will pass by them. And that as you do, they will hear your words. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. But they will also sense your presence. And in doing so, Lord, may they have the strength and the courage to carry on for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing, intergenerational, and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.